Jesus, would you have your way in the rest of this service? Would you bless Alyssa and the word that she has? Would you ready our hearts to receive, mighty God? And all God's people said, amen. 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 Do I even have to preach today? I mean, Jared is such an amazing uh, speaker, an amazing friend. I love that if you ever, I I don't know that Jared has ever been mad in his life. Every time you see him, he just has this infectious smile, and I'm so glad. When we heard that he was coming here for a couple of weeks, we were just so excited, and he just brings so much joy to the ministry of God, and I'm just um, honored to be um, his friend and his sister. So I'm just going to jump right in, and we're going to just start talking about Jesus, because that is who it really is all about in the first place, right? So we've been in this series, uh, Conversations by the Shoreline, and I have truly enjoyed this series because as many, some of you may know, some of you may not know, but I actually grew up in Corpus Christi. That's by the shoreline. Now, I do not advise that any of you go into that water, okay? Please, do not go into the water. But if you ever go, I do uh, recommend that you go to what we call the steps. And I'm going to have our awesome Sean over here put the steps up behind me And the steps are an area where you can go and just sit by the water and think and just have a good time. And in fact, one of my favorite people actually has a statue on the steps, Um, Selena, okay? Um, Selena has a statue there. It's like infamously known. Everybody that goes to visit goes to this statue. And um, I'm, I'm just glad that my God is alive and that he's not a statue, and that I can, he's living and he's breathing, and I can relate to him now. And so I remember as a young kid, we just didn't have a lot of finances to do many things, and going to the steps was free. And we would go to the steps, and as a family, we would gather, and we would dream together. We would talk about our issues. We would talk about, you know, what, what our life would look like. And right behind the steps, there's a, there's a street called Ocean Drive. And on Ocean Drive, there are these million dollar homes and we used to pick which one that we were going to live in when we were smaller and um, granted I live in San Antonio now I don't live in Corpus Christi but who knows maybe one day I will have a house on Ocean Drive but one of my favorite things was as I grew older and I got into high school I started going to the steps by myself I just found that it was a, a way for me to have some solitude for me to talk to myself uh, to talk to Jesus and it's a place where I would dream What would my future family look like? Where would I end up going to college? Or what accomplishments would I attain in my life? And I just love that through these stories, um, these past couple of weeks, we've just been reminded of God's goodness and of his gentleness and of his grace. And that is what we're going to talk about today. Um, If you would turn with me, we are going to be in the book of John. We're going to be in John chapter 21, and we're going to go through verses 1 through 14. I'm going to go back and forth between the verses while I share some personal stories, but before we get into the word, I kind of want to give you some context about the background of what's going on in chapter 21. And so in the previous chapter, of chapter 20, Jesus had just appeared to his disciples for the first time. Now, I don't know about you, but they had followed Jesus for a several amount of years, right? They had fallen in love with him. They had gained this relationship with him. Then they witnessed this gruesome crucifixion, only to then witness a holy resurrection, only then for him to be gone again. And I would assume that at this point that the disciples maybe are feeling frustrated. Maybe they're feeling confused. Maybe they're 
kind of wondering what exactly is going on and do God's promises truly reign true? Is what Jesus said actually going to happen? And so we will start in chapter 21 uh, in verse 1. It says that Simon Peter, Thomas, and Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we will go with you. They had really good friendship. They went and didn't let him go alone. So they went out and they got into the boat that night. And one thing that I want to note is that fishermen that are skilled will go out at night for two reasons. Number one, there's less people in the ocean, so less activity, and it stops the fish from diving deeper because fish don't want to die. But secondly, it's because the water actually cools at night. The sun isn't blaring, and so when the, when the water is cooler at night, the fish will actually rise up. So it was inevitable that a skilled fisherman would be able to catch fish that night. But the scripture goes on to say that they went out that night and they caught what? Nothing. Okay, They caught absolutely nothing. Now I want you to think about this. Because Simon Peter was actually a fisherman before he became a fisher of men. Okay, This was his occupation. This is what he had trained to do. How many of us are watching the Olympics right now? If you could raise your hand, come on, I know you got to watch something. So we, you know, we're watching the Olympics and we're seeing these people who are fully skilled at what they've been training to do their entire life, right? You're a swimmer and imagine that you're an Olympic swimmer and you're on the block and the beep goes off and your feet don't come off of the block. Or imagine that you are an Olympic runner and you're getting ready and the gun goes off and you don't go anywhere. This is how Simon Peter must have felt that night, to have been a skilled fisherman, to have gone out at night to know where the fish were and not be able to catch anything. It's frustrating. It's, it's something that none of us look forward to. And so uh, it, I, I love that it actually goes on to verse 4, and it says that early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore, but they did not realize that it was Jesus. And in verse 5, he called out to them, friends, haven't you, ha- haven't you any fish? And their response was no. Unfortunately, the disciples returned that night empty-hearted and empty-handed. Now, coming back to your boat empty, it's not a good feeling. Maybe some of you have felt that. Maybe you're feeling that right now, right? Or maybe you felt that some, at some point in your journey with Christ where Maybe you had applied for a job promotion and you really thought that you were going to get it. You, you went to the final interview process and unfortunately it was given to someone else. Disappointment. Or maybe you are single in here. How many of us are single in here? Yeah, yeah. Hey, singleness is good, guys. Singleness, enjoy the singleness because it is good. It is, the mo- it is the best time that you can fall in love with Jesus because there is no distractions and imagine, you know, you're, you're single, you've been waiting for six years, and you're waiting for the love of your life to come sweep you off your feet, and you just feel like God still hasn't answered you yet. Or maybe you've been praying for a loved one, you've been praying for healing, and you've been fasting, and, and you were petitioning before the Lord for healing, but that person is lo- no longer with us. You see, at this point, I bet you feel empty-handed and empty-hearted as well. That's the, the, the pain I imagine that the disciples felt when they came back into the boat. 
How many of us have felt empty-handed to see something that we were trying to complete on our own works, in our own time, and how we planned, right? That's, that's difficult to, 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 to feel that failure. And I want to make sure that everybody knows, I mean, my husband knows more than anybody, but in case you don't know, I am the most type A person you will ever meet in your life, okay? I, <laughs> Pastor Ben said true. I will calculate everything, okay? And I don't know how, how godly this is, but I will calculate everything. The time that it takes me on my GPS to get to a destination, I will actually add five to 10 minutes to that so that I can arrive five to 10 minutes early. I will actually tell my husband sometimes that a party starts at three instead of 3.30 because I know that we'll get there on time. <laughs> Sorry, dear. But, you know, I think I do this because there's something wired so deep inside of me that does not like failure. I don't like experiencing failure. I don't like the way it tastes. I don't like the way it smells. I don't like the way that it feels. And unfortunately, failure is, is it's, it's felt in different ways for different people. Failure can be a goal that maybe you set out for yourself when you were really young and it just hasn't come to fruition yet. Failing at something can be something that you decided to do two weeks ago and it just hasn't been completed yet. Well, when I think about completing a plan, sticking to a plan, accomplishing a mission, I think of the most important person in my life, my husband. I love you, dear. I, I, I don't know if you know this, but Chase was a collegiate football player and uh, he trained his entire life to be the strongest Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 I did good, guys. He, 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 he really did. He trained his life to be the strongest, to be the fastest, to be the most skilled. You know, you, you put hours of training into this craft, and sometimes he'll talk to me about the playbook. I'm like, okay, is it that serious? But this playbook, it, it's a binder full of plays that they had to learn front and back, it's a routine that they had to do, waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning, going to practice, going to class, going to lunch, coming back to practice, and then having to get to bed early just to do it all over again. I think about how much it takes for a person to be dedicated to a craft like that. He had it all planned out. Division I universities were reaching out to him his freshman year in high school. Okay, and I, I know this is true because when we started dating, I went to his mom's house for the first time, and she showed me the wall in his old bedroom. And when I tell you that the entire wall was filled with letters from D1 universities like UT, Texas A&M, University of Florida, I am not kidding. It was, I mean, she took it down now because now it's a guest room, but it was filled full of these letters. He had it all planned out, and he decided then to attend uh, college and a university at SMU on a full ride scholarship. So amen to that. Just praising him at 18 years old for making that decision to go to a school that wouldn't put you in debt and just so proud of that, that he's done that. And um, he still had one goal. And that one goal was to make it to the NFL. That was the goal from when he was in seventh grade all the way into college. And I imagine that this is the same goal that the disciples had that night that they went out to the water, okay? They had this one goal, I'm going to go out, I'm going to catch fish, and mission complete. Well, Chase had the same goal. He was going to go out, he was going to practice, he was going to be the strongest. But what both of these disciples and my husband didn't realize is that they were doing this in their own strength. Their, their desire to succeed was also in their own strength. 
but God. And I love sentences that start with but God because you know something good is really going to come after that sentence. And I love that but God is in this sentence because to serve Christ effectively means that we have to realize our inefficiency and his all-sufficiency. I'm going to say that again because there's some people that need to hear that in here. We work so hard to be sufficient on our own, but to serve Christ effectively, we have to realize our inefficiency and Christ's all-sufficiency. You see, my husband had these amazing plans to make it to the NFL, but his career in football actually came to an abrupt halt in his sophomore year of college. He tore his ACL. And if any of you guys know if you're football gurus, which if there are football gurus in here, you know that there's approximately 23 days until the football season starts. I shouldn't really know that, but I do because I live with my husband. But I will say this. If you know anything about a receiver, a position of a receiver in college, you have to be able to move laterally and you have to be able to move quickly. And a tear, like an ACL tear, could be a traumatic injury and end somebody's career. My husband tells me about the stories, and I remember when we started dating and we were really getting to know each other, I started asking him questions about this, and I started asking him what happened, and he told me how hard he worked, all of the physical therapy that he did, the extra lifting that he did, the time that he spent inside of, of the gym and on the field, and I asked him one time, I said, so when did you know? He's like, well, wh when did I know what? Like, so at what point, I mean, did you know that your football career was over? And he said it was at this one practice that he went out and he was running routes and he just realized that he couldn't get into his top gear anymore. He wasn't as fast as he used to be and the very thing that separated him from his competition was no longer there. The very thing that made him stand out he could no longer, no longer do on his own strength. And even when he tells me this story today, my heart just kind of hurts for him a little bit because I can see a little sense of defeat upon him or when I watch him watch NFL games or people doing interviews, I see this little, it's like a kid in the candy store where it's this dream and desire that he had planned out to accomplish. You know, I believe that this feeling of defeat that he felt at that time made him probably feel like he was losing his first love, which was football. But I love that little did he know that his first love was actually chasing after him. This brings me back to verse 6. It says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And he was talking about fish. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net because of the large number of fish. You see, Jesus was at the shoreline. They didn't even know that it was Jesus. And he had spoke an instruction to the disciples. And they did what he said and they, it therefore blessed them more than they could had ever fathomed in their own right. You see, it was in this transition of losing football, losing the football career that my husband had planned, that he fell in love with the Lord. It gives me the chills even thinking about it now because it's, it's crazy how much God has to remove for our from our lives for us to actually realize how much we need him. You see, the Lord gave people instructions around him. This is why what Jared was saying about community is so important, because God told people around him to throw the net onto Chase. And then he began to give instructions to Chase to throw the net out, and he began to do it in trust. And little by little, he fell in love with the Lord, just trusting that the Lord was going to heal him, that the Lord was going to love him, that the Lord was going to lead him. And now here he is today. 
It's crazy because it's not only that God asks you to come to him with open arms, but God's hands are never empty. They're never empty. Chase walked and, and came into his salvation, and God was waiting there with a hand full of warmth, full of love, full of healing, full of joy. And I want to encourage you with this today because had my husband's plans not fallen through, number one, we would have never met. Number two, we wouldn't have the two beautiful children that we have today. And number three, we would not be serving here at Luminous Church. And so I want to make sure that you realize that your failed plans are God's promised treasures. And say that again. Your failed plans are his promised treasures. In verse 10, it says that Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. And so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, and they dragged the net ashore. It was full of fish, 153 to be exact. But even with so many fish in the net, it was not torn. 153 fish is a lot of fish. And they may have been thinking at the time, man, there's no way we're going to be able to carry this to the shoreline. It says they were about 100 yards away, which is a football field. But I want to encourage you with this today because I want you to know that regardless of what you're bringing to the shore, regardless of how heavy your junk is, regardless of how heavy your sin is, it is not too heavy for the Lord. It is not too heavy for you to drag it to the Lord and you think, well, maybe some things will fall through the cracks that he will not heal. When he says, bring your fish to, to me, bring it ashore, he means absolutely everything. There is nothing that he cannot handle, and there's no miracle that he cannot do in your life. What I love about the story is that in verse 12, he says, come and have breakfast with me, and none of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? Because they knew. When we are close with the Holy Spirit, it is something inside of us that knows when it's Jesus that's talking to us, and I love that they recognized that it was him and didn't have to ask. And he said, come, take the bread, and he gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, in all of this, in talking about trying to work in your own strength, in talking about the amount of baggage that Jesus can take away from you, my hope is that you are reminded of your first love. Maybe your first love today is a vehicle, I don't know. Maybe it's a home. Maybe it's a dream to one day go to Bora Bora. Maybe that's your first love, although I would like to go to Bora Bora. But I want you to be reminded today who your first love should be. And here's why. Because there are several places in his word where he reminds you of who he is, and God's word never comes back void. So here are the five ways that God reminds you of his love. Number one, he promises to lead you. Isaiah 30, 21 says, whether you turn right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. How beautiful is it that we don't have to figure it out, Alyssa? We don't have to have it planned out because he already knows where we're going. Number two, he will give you strength. Isaiah 41, 10 says, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Number three, it says he will be with you. 
Joshua 1, 9 says, I have, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You are never alone in here, church. In case you're feeling some depression coming on, in case you're feeling some loneliness coming on, be reminded that his word says you are never alone, for he is always with you. And lastly, number five, says that he will protect you. Second Thessalonians 3, 3 says, but the Lord is faithful. No, I'm sorry, I'm number four. I apologize for that. Number four is he will love you. His love endures forever. This is not a simple kind of love. This is the, the, the kind of love that just is never ending. And then number five is that he will protect you. Second Thessalonians 3, 3 says, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Now, I want to remind you, church, this morning that being in love with the Lord is not a puppy love. It's not this middle school love or a fling. It is a forever kind of love. And not only is it a forever kind of love, it's the kind of love that welcomes you back even after you mess up, even after you sin. And not only is he waiting there, but his promises continue to reign true, that he will lead you, he will give you strength, he will be with you, and he will love you, and he will protect you. Those are his promises. I didn't make those up. Those are in his word to remind you how much he loves you. Now, I don't know um, if many people uh, grew up dancing with their fathers, but I did. I used to love dancing with my dad. And uh, he taught me actually to cumbia with a chair. I don't know if you know what a cumbia is, but it's a little sidestep and you move side to side. And he used to have a chair for me in the kitchen. And I would go from side to side to the corners of the chairs. So I learned how to cumbia. And I was ready. He would make me practice so that if we ever went to a quinceanera or if we ever went to a wedding, that I'd be ready to go. And I remember this one time we went to his best friend's wedding. I remember it for two reasons. Number one, I remember it because I had a very horrible dress on. It was navy blue, it was from Goodwill. We didn't have money for a new dress from even Walmart. I had some itchy white pantyhose on. I did not match. I was frustrated. I was, I was focused on all of the wrong things. But I remember this one song came on and my dad was across the floor and he just put his hand out. And I remember in that moment, it didn't take me but a hot second to run into his arms and to begin dancing with him. And in that moment, everything went away. It didn't matter the dress that I was wearing. It didn't matter that my legs were itching. In that one moment, I chose to be willing to dance with my father and to experience his love. My question to you today, church, is who are you dancing with? Are you dancing with fear or anxiety? Are you dancing with worry, maybe some sin? Or are today you gonna make the choice to stand and dance with your father who is ready to receive you with open arms and hands full, ready to remind you that he is your first love? Now, through this story of, of the miraculous catch of fish for the disciples, let us be reminded 
that the plans that he has for us are far better than the plans we could ever make for ourselves. Church, if you would just stand with me. I want to do this, and I want to do this standing, and you might be standing for a little while. But I want to do this because it's important to have reverence when we talk about salvation. It's not a joke, and it's not a game. It is life-changing when you make the decision to follow the Lord. Because it doesn't mean that it's just a saying that comes out of your mouth. It means that it's a change that happens within your heart. And to serve Christ effectively as well, we have to be eager to fellowship with him. And the way that we first fellowship is by accepting him into our hearts. So I'm going to run and I'm going to talk through how we can accept Jesus in our heart this morning. And I don't want anybody looking at anybody. I will close my eyes as well. But if you're in here today and you're feeling like you've been trying on your own strength to catch some fish and nothing is coming in that net, if you're feeling like you've been praying for something for far too long and you're starting to lose trust, or maybe you've never even prayed to the Lord because you don't know if he's even listening, my encouragement is to you today to either take the rededication and say, Lord, today I'm choosing again to love you. Or for the first time, say, God, you are my first love. So with every head bowed, church, I know there's a lot of us in here that have to repeat this prayer. Sometimes it takes some maintenance in our journey with Christ. And sometimes we have to say this out loud as a church. Say, dear Lord, I admit that I am a sinner and I have done things that did not please you and I'm sorry and I repent. You did for me what I could not do for myself and I choose to allow you to take control over my life. From this day forward, I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, that's the first part, right? Just accepting Christ as your Savior. But I love that in a journey with Christ, we're ever growing and ever evolving. And after salvation comes communion with Christ. And if you didn't receive communion as you walked in this morning, our ushers have communion for you. So if you didn't receive it, please raise your hand. And anyone can take communion this morning because it is a promise to you that you may not even be aware of. That communion means that it's a symbolic way that Jesus allows us to remember what he did for us. That he broke his body on the cross and that he bled the blood that would allow us to forever be forgiven. But not only be forgiven and be loved, but to spend eternity with him one day. What a beautiful promise that is. So if you will with me today, I'm going to read through Luke 22, 19 through 20. And this is what the Lord said. He said, this is my body given to you as a promise 
Do this in remembrance of me. If you would now take the cracker, the bread. Now in the same way, after they took the bread, he said, take this cup as a new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. And as we drink this cup, church, I want you to focus on the word you. He didn't say he was going to take it for somebody else by name. He said for you, regardless of what you've brought in, regardless of what you've done, and regardless of what you've walked through. So let us all take the cup. Now in this next moment, guys, we're going to take a moment just to reflect on the goodness of God. Caleb and Tori are going to sing a song. I just want you to think about all the ways that God has answered your prayers. Or even more so, the ways that he answered prayers you didn't even know that you had. God is so good, and he is so graceful, and he is so gentle. Let him love on you right now during this song. I think not on my own understanding. My life is in the hands of the maker of heaven. I lean out on my own understanding. My life is in the hands of the maker of Sing with us. I lean out on my own understanding. My life is in the hands of the maker of heaven. I lean out on my own understanding. My life is in the hands of the maker of heaven. I give it all. I give it all to you, God, trusting that you'll make something beautiful out of me. I give it all to you, God, trusting that you'll make something beautiful out of me. Sing, I lean. I lean out on my own understanding. Sing, church. My life is in the hands of the maker of every voice. I lean out on my own understanding. Just lift your hands and sing that. My life is in the hands of the maker of heaven. I lean, I lean out on my own understanding. Lift up your voice, church. My life is in the hands of the maker of heaven. Come on. I lean out on my own understanding. 
my life is in the hands of the maker of hell. I give it all. I give it all to you, God, trusting that you'll make something beautiful out of me. See, I give it all. I give it all to you, God, trusting that you'll make something beautiful out of me. See, I give it all. I give it all to you, God, trusting that you'll make something beautiful out of me. One more time. I give it all to you, God, trusting that you'll make something beautiful. And as we sing this next part, just open your hands and lift them up. There's nothing I hold on to. 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 Nothing I hold on to. There's nothing I hold on to. There's nothing I hold on to. Eileen. Eileen, not on my own understanding. My life is in the hands of the maker of it. Sing that out, church. Eileen, not on my own understanding. Every voice. My life is in the hands. 